All right, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. We're kicking off the afternoon here, and I, I promised Nicholas I'll keep him on schedule. Sometimes these uh, these events start to start to drag on a little bit. But um, my name is Chris Weatherby. I'm the transportation and shipping analyst. If I didn't see it at lunch. Uh, welcome back to the afternoon sessions. We're going to kick off with the crude oil tanker panel. Uh, very pleased to be joined by a, a number of uh, really insightful folks from the industry here. So to my left, I have Brian Gallagher, who heads up investor relations for Euronav. Lois Abraki is the CEO of International Seaways, to Brian's left. And then Ted Patron, Vice Chairman Navios. I have Robert Burke, who's the CEO of Ridgeberry Tankers. And then Nick Chakos of Chakos Energy Navigation, who's joined us as well. Um, so really, you know, I want to make sure this is interactive so we can get the audience involved and hopefully you guys have questions as well. But, you know, I, I think probably the best way to, to kick off the panel is dig a little bit into the fundamentals and talk a little bit about supply demand. Obviously, IMO 2020 is what everybody wants to talk about and is talking about. So we'll talk a little bit about that, too. Um, I'll make sure to get each one of your uh, targets on exactly when rates are going to inflect later this year. And, I, you know, if you could get it by the week, that would be great. But I'll take month. That's fine, too. Um, and then we'll just sort of wrap up and, and sort of think about the longer term view for the industry and the stocks specifically. Now, I'm an equity analyst. I care about what the stocks are doing. We talk a lot about what the industry is doing, but ultimately we do want to know how you guys think about the equities as well. Um, so maybe I'll kick off. So, so let's talk first a little bit, you know, about um, supply demand and, and just generally how we think about sort of the looseness or tightness of the market. Maybe, Brian, I'll start with you. You and I chatted a little earlier in the day. Um, I thought it was an interesting comment about your, your perspective on, on what spot rates have been doing and what maybe would otherwise be a, a kind of slackening period of the market. So, so what's, your, what's your broad take right now? Well, I think uh, from a Euronav perspective, we don't uh, there we go. identify a couple of things. Um, there's a two-tier market developing in the VLCC space, the Atlantic and then the uh, Arabian uh, Gulf market. Uh, and you're getting better rates in the uh, Atlantic than you are elsewhere. Um, the Suez Max market still remains challenged. We had a very, very heavy supply schedule in 17 in the Suez Max, which is still causing uh, a lot of overtonnage in that market. But one thing that's impressed us is that we think that Q1 is going to come out on Vs about $35,000 a day, which is about the same as we all did in Q4. Um, uh, and despite the fact that we've had over 30 VLCC deliveries uh, hitting the water in Q1, and the fact that we've had 1.2 million barrels a day taken out from the OPEC cuts, and we've had a, a longer and a more deeper refinery maintenance program in that time. So we're, we're reasonably sort of impressed that there's a resilience to the VLCC market, um, and that we're, we're at this base rate of cash flow positive uh, and uh, net profit, ge pr uh, pr profit generation, um, despite the fact that we've had those headwinds. And those headwinds now start to unwind as we see the disruption from IMO 2020 and vessels being taken out of the market to retrofit. The Iranian vessels could uh, see another sort of 10 to 14 disappear. So we think there's some really good grounds to believe that, which I think is becoming a slightly consensus view, that Q2 could actually be, if you like, the ordinary usual Q3 bottom. So we think we're, we're, we're approaching the, the bottom for the VLCC freight market at the moment. Great. Lois, you have, what, what's your perspective on that? What do you think about sort of rates maybe kind of stabilizing, even though fundamentals maybe aren't as good as they were a few months ago? Well, it's interesting because uh, Q1, really, uh, the, the market resurgence really wasn't due to IMO 20, 2020 or anything like that. I think it, it has a lot to do with what Brian's talking about with those um, incremental barrels going long haul to China. 
um, out of the U.S. Gulf, and you know you saw that um, you know you saw that market really uh, respond, mm -hmm. and you know whether or not the barrels are actually going to go to China or they're going to go to Japan and Korea, you know, we, we're seeing less China than we see um, often more of the other Asian countries. So we're looking for those long ton miles, which again um, are something uh, north of 110 days on a round. And uh, that really uh, adds a lot of demand and, and has helped that VLCC market thus far this year. So that's an advance of 2020. Those are just fundamentals of where the crude's coming from and where, where it's being demanded. Yeah, that makes sense. T Ted, how sustainable do you think that sort of higher ton mile dynamic is, particularly U.S. Gulf activity? I mean, it's very sustainable and it's going to get better. I think from 35,000 feet, you know, in the east, you have more oil required. Chinese are producing less oil. Here in the west, besides us, the U.S. becoming the new, OPEC, uh, the new Saudi Arabia, Brazil's going to get better. So there's a lot more oil coming from the west. And in the middle of the picture, you have the, uh, core OPEC, putting more, cracking more of the barrel. Mm -hmm. So not only is the replacement going to have to come from the West, but the shortage of what's going to go out there or the new oil that's going to be moved is going to start from the Atlantic. So ton miles looks very good. We're going to do the premium pipelines, you know, the second half of the year, you're going to have births coming on. I, I think this is a mega trend that's just in its infancy. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you guys are just queuing up the next question each time. So these are phenomenal answers. It really makes my life a lot easier here. Um, Bob, from your perspective, can you give us a view on what you think about sort of infrastructure build out? It seems like things are going on in the Gulf Coast, direct loading of VLCCs. When do we think that could potentially happen off the U.S. Gulf? First of all, it's amazing. We all think the market's going to go up for an unusual group of ship owners. Um, this is the happy panel. Is <laughs> I mean, you know, from what we read, what we see, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a gradual process, but a year, year and a half from now, uh, two years, there'll be more pipelines. Uh, some Vs will be loading directly, maybe not 100% loading, but um, it'll take away from some of the, you know, what do they call it, reverse light, reverse lightering that soaked up a lot of the Aftermax tonnage. So that'll take place. And one thing I wanted to mention, um, you know, I think a lot of the refineries are undergoing a lot more maintenance than usual and gearing up towards, you know, a flat out run for 12 or, or longer months, you know, anticipation of 2020. And I think that's sort of the underlying uh, that's an underlying uh, fundamental that's going to help us out through that period. That makes sense. And Nick, I want to get you involved here. Um, there's a good comment just now about the, the reverse lightering. And how do you think, you know, if you, if you think out over the next couple of years and, and say the U.S. Gulf exports continue to grow, what do you think the impact will be kind of across the, the, the fleet, not just on the V side, but also on the, on the smaller vessels as you cascade lower? Well, uh, I agree with uh, with Bob that uh, we would rather have the developments of direct loading and uh, of VLCCs uh, to be a slow process. Uh, we would like uh, when this process and if this process finally becomes uh, fully efficient, it will take out, it will reduce the lightering, mm -hmm. which is such a big historic part of the, of the Gulf, uh, mainly on Aframaxis. Uh, and sometimes on, on Suez Maxis. So I think that will be, uh, it will reduce the demand for those, uh, for those vessels going forward, which is something that we do not see today. Uh, I think today we're seeing a lot of appetite from the oil companies and the end users to charter for the next three to five years a lot of second-hand tonnage in the Aframax and Suez Max uh, categories. So, I mean, this is a positive note. We had not seen this a year ago. 
who just coming out from a, you know, who just came out from 2018, which was three quarters of it was a very painful uh, year. The last quarter we had a happy ending, but it was not, uh, uh, it didn't last as long. Although the market right now is, uh, it's much healthier than uh, what we experienced a year ago. So, so far, uh, both Aframax as well as Maxis are there for demand for long term. And I wonder maybe anybody can answer this question, just wanted to get a sense. Each one of you guys have various parts of the market that you've historically focused on, and some have had more, more mixed approaches. Are there any areas that you see, I mean, we, VLCCs get a lot of attention from guys like me and, and investors in general. What are the other areas that you think we should be focusing on, or are there other asset sizes that look interesting in the next year or two that you might want to be spending more time on? I don't know. Lois, you want to take a crack at that? Or? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, and it's interesting because it, we actually are, are, I think, the only company here that has any involvement in the, the lightering business, um, uh, which is largely performed with Affirmaxes. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, while the U.S. Gulf is the largest area where lightering is growing rapidly, you know, you're, we're also very active in Panama, on the U.S. West Coast, the Bahamas, and, um, you know, there are growth areas uh, you know, like Brazil and other areas that will grow with lightering activities as it kind of offsets the Gulf. So um, I mentioned that specifically because uh, the Venezuelan situation is very tenuous right now. And uh, with exports having been halved out of Venezuela, that particularly falls on the shoulders of Aframaxis and somewhat the Suez Max market. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, the U.S. refiners still need heavy crude imports, and they're not going to get all of that from Canada um, or U.S. offshore. Mm -hmm. And so that is likely to come from Russia and other areas on Afra and Suez. So when you see these things that happen in our market that are unplanned, um, that affect the production, uh, those mid-sized vessels um, are, are highly uh, affected by that. Uh -huh. But it doesn't mean that they're down and out, as Nichols said. You yeah, know. I, I think um, Lois mentioned the U.S. Gulf. Of course, we're all U.S.-centric, so unfortunately, we don't get the same breadth of information elsewhere in the world. But we, I think um, the U.S. refineries obviously specialize in cracking high sulfur crude, and with Venezuela out, uh, that'll take more heavy sulfur crude from other parts of the world that are obviously further away than Venezuela, such as, such as Russia. Thank you. Or even West Africa. Yeah. Makes sense. Ted, what are your thoughts on asset sizes? What are you, what are you, what are you guys thinking? I think they saw a, a, a sale this morning of a V, if I, if I saw that correctly. Just kind of curious how you guys are thinking about it. Um, well, we got rid of one of our older vessels. Um, you know, the, the market's good. Um, you can get a decent rate for these vessels. The problem is you trade them in the east, right? And so uh, it looks like there's, uh, the buyers are going to be floating storage. So let, they paid up front, well above scrap for us. We were very happy with that. Um, we appreciate all the other sizes, um, but going back to when we commenced NNA and we wanted to uh, look at the market, um, we thought China was the big 400-pound uh, mm -hmm. gorilla that in, in all the markets. And if you're going to play China, you're going to play the Vs. So that, that was our. We, we like the other sizes, but we've been in Vs, and I think we're going to we'll stay there for a while. Brian, any thoughts there? You guys have obviously been, you know, made a bet on, on Vs for, for a while. Yeah, we're very focused on that. I think one thing that's beginning to occupy more minds on a more strategic basis is about the, the real medium-term propulsion 
and uh, sources we're going to use, be it LNG, hydrogen, all of these other areas, not just because we've obviously got a fuel oil um, uh, source issue coming, but no, we've, we've, I think we've made our, our structure pretty clear, and it's about making it work better, and the consolidation doesn't, have, doesn't just have to be M&A, which gets everyone's attention, but you know, come and join Lois and ourselves in, in the pool, and we can do the commercial consolidation, which can, can help drive those better returns. Yeah, makes sense. So, so let's talk a little bit about rates and sort of the outlook as, as we look out through the rest of, of 2019. So um, I, I think there's uh, some conventional wisdom in the market that maybe we'll pull forward seasonality by a quarter or so, just given what's going on at the end of the year. Uh, I, I don't know if that's something that, that you all agree with, or do you think that maybe there are other nuances to the implementations of IMO 2020 with dry docking or otherwise later in the year that could impact that? I don't know if any... I'll, I'll, Ted, you look like you want to answer, well, so I'm going to throw it to you, you know, and then maybe Bob next to you. Let me go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it's not just IMO, right? Supply and demand fundamentals are actually very good, and anything that's holding back the market is front-loaded. You had, a, as Brian was saying, there was a lot of deliveries that, you know, everything yep. got, wait, everybody waits for that extra month. We chewed through those deliveries, yeah. right? The refineries are doing the extra maintenance, so they've stopped buying the crude, and we're still averaging, you know, I mean, on the Clarkson's, and I think the... Baltic is about 28, 29,051, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and you also had um, OPEC cutting, and maybe they may cut some more, but, you know, when the Saudis get to their $75, because they have, you know, Aramco has to continue making $111 billion a year, as they reported this morning, yep. then um, I, I think the second half gets better. And then IMO on top of that, right? So the whole issue of, um, you know, it's about 35, 40 days to just get the ship ready in dry dock to put the... You don't have to be adding the dry dock, but you know you have to be out of service. So I think there's a whole bunch of issues um, besides the ship slowing down. Yeah. Um, go from 13 knots to 12 knots. It's 8 percent. Okay. Half of that's ballast, so it's 4 percent. You're in the, you're out at sea only two thirds of the time, but it's a 3 percent reduction. Just you know, simple math. Because sure. I can't. I'm mean, not as smart as Lois. I can only do the simple stuff. That was pretty and, good. Uh, and so you're 3 percent reduction just in reducing one knot. Yeah. Of the fleet. So I think everything is. The second half gets much better than the first half, and the first half's not so bad. You'll have seasonality in Q2. Yep. Yeah. Uh, what he said. Uh, <laughs> no, plus, I mean, anything that's disruptive or inefficient in shipping is obviously good. And it's hard to quantify um, a lot of these issues. But if you just look at the list of them, I just wrote them down quickly while Ted was speaking. You know, the scrubber installation, uh, low sulfur and high sulfur crude movements are going to change drastically as the demand for different types of fuel changes and the, and the demands on the different refineries change. Um, storage is increasing. Uh, there are tankage issues. Uh, there are bunkering issues. So all these issues are going to cause massive um, inefficiencies, and anything with inefficiencies is good for shipping. And the order book is baked in right now for the next 12 months, 18 months, so we know the supply side. So, uh, you know, I think as a group, as ship owners, we're generally optimistic. I think as the crude panel, we're overly optimistic, and I think you know it's it's it looks good for the second half of the year. Yeah, because, please. <coughs> yes, uh, I mean, I agree that uh, we are coming. We are optimistic because we're coming from a very very low point of view. It's like the Greek economy. Everybody talks about how the Greek economy <laughs> is doing fantastic, but it's so it's been on its knees. We have lost 40 percent of the GDP, so you know, the only way is up uh, from now on. Uh, 
it is a healthier environment. I know we all want to get our share prices up here, but I think let's not get over optimistic and start thinking of ordering new ships, because that again is going to put a cap on whatever we're trying, uh, we're trying to do here. There's a lot of ships out in the market, and there are a lot of ships coming in the market. Last time I saw, I think, uh, there are about 100 VLs that are going to hit us in the next uh, two years. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember back in the, in the 2008 period of, uh, of excitement and happiness, we had 52 Panamax bulk carriers coming in a year, which was one a week, and that was huge for the time. Now, 100 VLCCs is even huger. Due to size. So I think we are going to see a better time. I hope our, all our shares have tanked and they have only one way to go, but let's not get over-optimistic because this is what really brings the market down on the long term. But, but Nick, I think, I think you're right, of course, but I, um, there's not a lot of capital out there that has moved quickly into shipping. A lot of the capital is stuck and they want to get out. Uh, most of the public companies have a hard time raising any kind of equity because their uh, stock is below asset value and the PE guys are kind of exhausted. So, um, you know, I think one of the problems with shipping, one of the many problems, is that people can employ capital quickly. You know, for uh, uh, anyone who invests capital for a living, you, it takes a year or so to do a real estate deal. I mean, any of the two of us could go to Korea on a day trip and order 500 million bucks worth of ships by lunchtime tomorrow. And um, that can be really tempting for people who are in the business of putting capital to work. So I think that's a real positive for us. Well, uh, well I mean, I think you are right that uh, from, from the normal uh, uh, sources of finance, there is a lack. But don't forget, you have this uh, very excitable and exciting Chinese leasing mm -hmm. uh, associations that, uh, you know, they can give you a ship uh, with 95% uh, finance. And this is another danger that in the market. So I agree with you that you don't have equity. Traditional bank finance is a bit more skeptical, but I think you have other sources that uh, can create. If anybody wants to go and spend half a billion dollars, uh, they can do it. I mean, you know, if I can just expand on the points uh, the gentlemen are making. You know, when you're looking at the uh, crude tanker fleet and you're thinking about ordering, one of the things Brian mentioned is, you know, what is your propulsion going to be? And it makes, I think it should make every owner hesitate or every investor hesitate a little bit. Um, there are second-hand values out there available. Those vessels have not run up um, dramatically in value, and, and they're probably a, a better deal um, in, you know, rather than running out and ordering a new billing for delivered 2021 um, with a propulsion that's going to be redundant in, in a year or two, because I think we're at a watershed moment. That's great. That certainly makes sense. Um, so, so it's hard to separate the fundamentals, Ted, to your point. It's hard to separate the fundamentals from what's going on with, with IMO. If you were to do that, though, just to take a step back and think about it, what would sort of the normal cadence uh, of sort of rates look like as we moved out over the next 18 months? Would you see the typical sort of fourth quarter, you know, rally that you'd expect? Could you see some activity before that? You know, if you're, again, to separate the two, I know it's difficult to do, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Well, seasonality tells you that Q2 and Q3 are, you know, if you take uh, 100 as the average, Q1 is usually at a little bit 90% of the average. Q2 mm -hmm. is probably a little less. Q3 starts going up. And Q4 is usually 40 to 50% above the average. So, yeah. but you can really see it. Look, if you look at the futures today, Q4 into, into the end of 21, so nine quarters, mm -hmm. you could lock in 33, 34,000. That's, I mean, yeah. doesn't mean everybody's right, but it means people are seeing in the future 
that they want to lock in something. Right? I know all the shorts are coming to the longs these days. You know, I'm sure across the board here, more calls are coming into our trading group than going out. Yep. And they're just, hey guys, how you doing? What's going on? We know they're ready to start the mating dance. It's just a matter of when, what we're going to fix. <laughs> but yeah. Ted, on that, but do, you, do you think they're all waiting for 2020? They're all sort of waiting uh, on the sidelines uh, as well? I don't, you know, it's hard to... I would say if I'm a charterer, I would wait for seasonality and see if I can get $1,000 less and try to lock it in before things start moving. I think you're going to see a lot of them come to the meadow with their sheep now to try to get everything done. Because yeah. I would if I was a short. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think, again, everything, you know, we were talking about what could hold the year down. Well, we're going to have 5% fleet growth probably yep. in the Vs. It's mm -hmm. not that great. Having said that, we have circa 100 vessels on water, 85 will deliver. That's about the same amount of vessels that are 17 years in age or older. So if you look at a three-year period, it's much better. Um, and I think it'd be behoove us not to be fixing. Like, we wouldn't fix out a period more than a year today if, unless we had an index related. It's, it's got to relate to the market going forward if we're going to do it today. Would you, as, as asset owners, be hesitant to charter out ships in the back half of the year? Because of concern that you might miss upside, or we're willing to do it, so you'll take that. You'll take that index link to it. Question. Yeah. Listen, uh, 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 you could be anybody on the on the panel. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Good. Feel free. You, you know, I mean, the, the the longer term market and tankers, it's not like we're at the LNG place where we're yeah. going to seven to 12 year deals, you know, that actually uh, provides a proper return. So, you know, once you get to those kinds of levels, I think everybody's, um, you know, certainly at, at our house is listening. Yeah. I'm guessing the same for you. Yeah, uh, today's rates, we're going to wait a bit and see what happens. Yeah, see you. Okay. That's great. The, the, the idea, I agree with you. <clears throat> it's always good to have full utilization. This is what we try in our company to do, but uh, you have to tie it with some sort of index related uh, upside going forward. And Brian, are you guys happy to play the pool? Yes, but at the same time, I think it's like everyone's saying, in particular, Ted, I think, makes a very good point. When we start seeing that demand as it's coming through and those inquiries are coming through in a seasonally, supposedly weaker quarter, that's, if you like, the canary in the coal mine. That's when we start seeing they want to get, uh, capture that level of, um, mm -hmm. of fleet. If that's going to happen from the charters, then we know that they, they've got a much, uh, they've got the same belief in us on the rates in 20 and 22, uh, 21. We have all the tankers and uh, we get constant incomings on, for storage. So you've seen them both ends for... Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and we've always talked about that older supply of ships that can match order books and so on and so forth. What is IMO a catalyst to actually get those ships out of the market? If not, what would be? I think the market takes those... The, the market differentiates uh, those ships. Uh, and uh, there's always a market for them, but it's not as efficient as the ships that are, let's say, 15 years... Or, or younger. So those ships will tend to trade more in the Far East, mm -hmm. and that's why you see the Far East market, which performs much worse usually than, uh, than, uh, than the West. Yeah. And uh, so you know, the IMO might make uh, your decision to sell a vessel for, uh, for scrapping closer to its, uh, let's say, intermediate survey rather than sp the special survey by two or two and a half years. But there's also, I mean, when you're in, we have all the ships, and you look at two different markets, which both have a, lo have a lot of volatility. You look at the scrap market, and you look at the V market. So you're looking at how many days left in the life of your ship, literally 500, 700, or 1,000, uh, versus the volatility in the scrap market, and you make a decision based upon those, those two markets, which is fun. Um, but also, they, they do trade a discount to the newer vessels. 
uh, and that discount gets fairly narrow as the, as the market gets hotter. And of course, when the market's bad, they don't they don't uh, you know trade as well. But the capital cost is much much lower, and that's what we look at. It's a much lower drag on your capital cost. So we uh, we try to weigh that against um, you know the trading discount. And over the past year or so, it, it's, it's worked well for us. But I think that's a challenge as well that we get asked an awful lot about, well, what's the scrapping number going to be this year? But Bob's just given a great articulation there about it's an individual decision. There's 100 different VLCC owners. There's 100 different Suezmax owners. That's a bottom-up decision based on a whole range of factors. We're being asked to make a top-down sort of assumption on yeah. what that would be. But it's also interesting as well that we're already getting this storage inquiry. That may yeah. put a bit of a cap on scrapping this year. Yeah. Um, that regardless of rates. But like I say, uh, it's, it's the fact, as both uh, guys have said already, you've got that older, the, the, the average age of the fleet has uh, seasoned quite aggressively in the last two or three years. But, but if they go in storage, they're out of the market. So they're, they're out of the commercial market if they're in storage, yeah. Got it. Um, what do you think about trade lanes post-IMO 2020? What, what's the most exciting aspect of, of something changing there? Obviously, you're going to need lower sulfur crude in different places. You'll need higher sulfur crude in other places. What, what, what do you think of the, the, the potential uh, opportunities there? And, and how do you think you're about average ton miles per voyage? Does anyone else dream about that? We have to think about, so <laughs> curious. I what think one thing that we've, we've looked at and we've done some work with, with uh, Bremer on this is that, and it's a point Lois made earlier, is that the Chinese, they may have been buying some of these cargoes, but they haven't been delivered to China. Yeah. Japan, Korea, uh, Taiwan, and India has taken up the slack almost dollar for dollar um, since the Chinese stopped buying in the summer. So you could see another leg to the ton mile story that Ted talked about earlier, but I think that's got to be, as, as all the panelists have said, it's ex an exciting part of the story, that trade of US exports, because there's, a, there's a, a real longevity for the next three to five years on that. But it's also interesting trades that we think will be something like the Russian crude to the heavy sales to the US. That's something which we're already starting to see some volume on. I think it's important also because you spoke about the next two or three years to see what will happen with the various embargoes that are out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we have uh, what happens to Venezuela, if Venezuela becomes again, uh, 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 you know, a much more closer pipeline uh, than, than right now, which uh, it's not playing any any significant role. What will happen with Iran if Iranian oil will come back in the market? So you have those geopolitical events that play a significant role also in the next two to three years. I, I think the natural arb from the Baltic south to Singapore for fuel oil is going to go away. Um, I, I think the refineries in the U.S. East Coast and Europe are in trouble. How fast they are phased out, I think, has uh, there are economic issues, also political issues as to how that happens. Um, and I wrote down something else here. I can't quite understand what I put, <laughs> but, but I'm sure that one's true too. So. That sounds like your handwriting's like mine. Um, okay, that, that that certainly makes sense. Um, I guess w when you think about um, IMOs, I IMO and, and the potential for any pull forward of activity, in the back half of this year, so as we're starting to think a little shorter term, what do you think are the direct sort of impacts when you think about it? Is it people putting ships for extended periods into dry docking as they go through the scrubber installation? Is that something that has a meaningful impact? Will it be the beginning of the dissemination of low sulfur fuel into the market? What are the sort of nearer-term disruptions that you guys are thinking about that we should, should be on our radar screens for the next couple of months? I mean, you know, for sure, uh, scrubber installations, I think, in Q3 will, will start quite intensively. Yep. 
there are some people who are having scrubber installations now, which is super, but uh, you, you know, it's a challenge to get all the um, engineering done and have you installed at the, at the low of the market, which is would be right now. Yeah. So I do think that that will be an impact, uh, certainly on the V fleet where you have over 200 ships that will have scrubbers, um, whether uh, as new buildings or, or retrofits. So that's um, one significant impact. And another one is that for owners, you know, uh, to put the light sulfur on, we wanna do that at the last moment, at the cheapest price, yeah. where it's most convenient. And since that's uh, pretty challenging, uh, you know, you're going to start to see um, all the technical guys really planning that out, uh, at least in Q4, if not before. Yeah. I, I don't think any of us have an answer, and that indicates that there are going to be a lot of inefficiencies and mistakes, which leads to better rates. It's like uh, Ghostbusters, cats and dogs living together. It's going to be, it should be confusing. Even, even the scrubber issue, we're installing six scrubbers, and... When you put a ship in dry dock, usually you have a few dry docks that you're discussing it with, and the time is flexible, and you work your ship out that way, and, and we've all gotten very efficient at doing that. Um, a scrubber, you have to get your ship to a certain yard, because the scrubber's there waiting for you. So you have to get your scrubber ship to that yard to get that scrubber on. So you have to work in cargo in that direction, or ballast part of the way, and then the scrubber has to arrive on time with all the parts that you need. So it just adds more inefficiencies to a, to a process that none of us have done before. And we all have budgeted days, and you know it's, we're going to be very efficient at cleaning the tanks. But none of us really know. I think that's I think that's what we're excited about is that none of us know, and it, it won't be that efficient. I think the pull ahead of the cargos, the advancement of the cargos. Two things about it: one, it may make an artificially higher uh, second half of the year, and then an artificially lower first half. Not by much, but it's artificial, sure. right? Mm -hmm. um, but um, I also do think that what's the spread going to be? Right, the higher the spread, the more you're gonna pull cargoes forward. Yeah. So I think last year, if I remember right, there was talk of 350, 400, maybe more. It, it seems that's kind of come a little bit, that's collapsed a bit. Now, a lot of us follow, there's a futures market for uh, gas oil versus uh, high sulfur fuel in Singapore, and there's a futures market. So, you know, that's probably, I think 250 I saw last, I'm not, not it's a, sort of a synthetic spread, right? Sure. But, but it's, it's at least a, a picture into the future. There will be, it will be higher, it will be the fleet slowing down, but it's a matter of how high, how long and how high. Yeah. Right? But, or how but, long and how long. But there's less high sulfur crude out there than there used to be. I mean, Venezuela's gone, Mexico's way off, uh, Libya, uh, Iran, they're all high sulfur producers. And that, that is an underlying problem for people who have ordered uh, scrubbers because the spread, you know, the bases will be lower because the spread between high sulfur and low sulfur crude is lower. Amazing that Paddy Rogers is not here, so we can talk about scrubbers without having to hide under the table. I think that's he's, he's phoned in. He's going to dial in. Some, start talking at some point. Well, I, I know where most of you stand on scrubbers, but I think for the audience's point, maybe each one of you can make a comment on whether you're making an investment or not making an investment in scrubbers, and we can see how maybe diverse the opinions are in this market. Truly, how they truly are. Uh, Euro and other not making uh, investments. Um, we, from our perspective, the analysis we've done, the rewards and returns, uh, um, given the risk profile that we've assessed, um, do not make sense for us at this time. Lois? Yeah, for, for us, uh, we're investing scrubbers in our 10 modern VLCCs, which represent just shy of 40% of our bunker portfolio, which we, we think is a balanced approach. Okay, Ted? We have scrubbers uh, scheduled to go in on those new buildings that are delivering next year. Um, other than that, we're looking to the charters. If they want to pay cost plus, we're happy to do it. Yep. 
Yeah, we have nine MR tankers, and they will not have scrubbers. Uh, we have eight Suez, six of which will have scrubbers, and we have seven older VLs, which will not have scrubbers. Uh, they only last a few more years, and we're hoping to take advantage of the, the spike in IMO rates in the short run. Nick? Well, we're only fitting scrubbers. We're our, our clients and our charters, I mean, our, our strategy is always with long-term charters, the majority of our fleet is in five to ten year employments. So if the charter wants to spend the money and to pay for the time, uh, we do not encourage them, but uh, there's, you know, there's, we, so we, it seems we're going to have six scrubbers fitted on uh, two VLs and, and four Suez Maxes. Uh, I have to say a year ago, we had many, many more of our charters uh, asking us to give them permission to put scrubbers, which we did. And uh, since then we hear less and less of those yeah. demands. So this is, I, th I think, a good sign. The best thing that can happen is everybody goes uh, to put scrubbers very soon, have huge delays, get the market to skyrocket, and then by the time the, the ships come back, uh, they will not, you will not need scrubbers anymore. So I think that will be <laughs> <a third game> <laughs> There you go, that's probably the right answer. Um, so last, just to wrap up here in the last two minutes we have, most tanker equities are trading below net asset value. So what do you do? What is the priority today mm. in that environment, Brian? Um, we've done about, I think, 20, just over $20 million of buyback on a, um, our stock since uh, the end of December. We're trading at a 20% discount. Um, if we look historically, the correlation with new build asset prices since 2004 and you don't have stocks around about 85%. It's about 65% uh, when you compare it to the earnings. So historically, the, the asset prices do tend to price uh, recovery in pretty quickly. Um, I think in terms of that asset allocation, we'll be more skewed towards that rather than dividends going forward. Yep. For, for international seaways, you know, I think as um, we are in the low part of the cycle, you know, there, there is a renewed interest, uh, you know, we're discussing it, you know, you're starting to feel that inquiry into the tanker business. And um, hopefully that's going to reward having paddled really hard while the market was down. Okay. Well, you, you simply perform. Wherever the, the market's valuing you correctly or incorrectly, you simply perform. I think the second half of the market, there's a bit investor fatigue that's been here since people went in as dry bulk a few years ago. Yep. Let that be the case so no new buildings come in. But I just think you look forward and you, you, you perform. And as I, Lois says, I think it's the wrong time to be putting out steel for a long period. Got it. Different perspective from your standpoint, but what do you think? Uh, we're privately held with various public uh, PE firms on us. Uh, it works for me that they're undervalued because it's difficult to raise money in order to new ships. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, fair enough. Good luck, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, last comment from you. I think uh, it's not uh, it's not it's not a new thing not to to, to be trading away under net asset value. Uh, let's hope that uh, this uh, year at least we will be able to arrive to net asset value. I think this is uh, our target right now. Got it. Ladies, gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.